Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, November 27, 2022. On this first Sunday in Advent, today's topic is peace. So what we're celebrating today is the first of Advent. I was going to light a candle here, but it was a weird candle that just burned right through and is no longer lit. Uh, But thankfully, we have a better light to talk about today a more reliable one, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're celebrating his arrival coming into this world. This is the most popular birthday party ever, but it has become so big around the world uh, that songs have been sung for Christmas. Do I say that right? Songs have been sung? Is that how you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought so. Uh, Around the world. And if you start listening to the songs, there's a lot of excitement. We should celebrate. And Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. But as you Listen to the songs. You never actually get to why. Why is this so wonderful? Uh, They sing about fireplaces. They sing about romance. I only want you for Christmas, my dear. They they sing about so many things. They sing about the excitement, the coziness behind Christmas. And yet you really dive into it and you realize everybody is excited, but we're not singing or talking about why we're excited. You know, I think it would be very odd for us if we were to walk out of here, we were to go to Cronun, the grocery store next door, and we would see 200 people just celebrating like crazy, like something amazing happened. And if you walk through the crowd and you start asking them, what are we celebrating? Everybody realizes they don't know why, right? That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But that's basically what Christmas has become. Everybody get excited. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And then you ask, well, why? Especially in Iceland. <laughs> Why? It's dark. It's cold. It can get depressing at times. You know, why? But this is happening worldwide. This is the season for us to remember Jesus. Now, you can debate if he was even born in December or not, but nevertheless, how great to take some time out to just remember the hope that we have in Jesus that he arrived on uh, that he arrived to us. He came to us and it is perhaps wonderful, especially during the dark days of winter here in Iceland, when you see the lights everywhere, lighting up the darkness and you realize what a great picture this is of Jesus coming to us, what this light was supposed to represent, a light in the darkness and now has gone out. Yet we're here to celebrate a light that can never go out. Jesus coming, piercing our darkness. And today I want to remember the peace that we have in Jesus. And so there's some traditions around the Advent candles that many in Scandinavia hold. And, and I've decided to stick with some of the themes around the candles. There's great themes, peace and faith and love and hope. And, and then we're going to remember the servant King, Jesus Christ. So I want to start us off by reading from John chapter one, verses one through 14. Would you stand with me as we just read through this text? And we want to remember the peace that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. And so here it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. You may be seated. So started, to start us off, let me ask us this question. What is peace? And we can be seated as we go into this, this rest. Uh, what is peace? Now, in a world in turmoil, just like right now, you may be thinking of the war in Ukraine and you may think to yourself, well, peace is the absence of, of war. In fact, I think when we think about what peace is, we generally don't define what it is, but rather we talk about what it, peace is not. So peace is not war. That's, that's good. And we might say, well, peace is the absence of fear or peace is the absence of anxiety or quarreling or turmoil and so on and so forth, we might describe peace by describing what it's not. Similar to right how you describe a hole. By definition, a hole is the absence of something solid, right? So there has to be a hole in something solid like a fabric or a wall or whatever else. And I think we can do better than that to describe what peace is. Let me let me give you an illustration. Just if I were to go to my wife after the service, she's staying home with uh, Victoria sick today, as many are today, but uh, she's taking care of her. But if I were to go up to her and say to her, you know what, Svava? I have the absence of hate towards you. Okay, that might be a good start, right? But I think we can do better than that. So how about we dive into first, as we ask about the peace that is offered to us in Christ Jesus, what is peace? from a biblical perspective. And it turns out the Bible has something more for us than just to say the absence of fear or the absence of war. Throughout the Bible, the word peace comes up more over 300 times. As some have made the case that it comes up uh, for every, every day of the year, it comes up in the Bible. Um, so as we go into the Bible, we see that peace in the Old Testament is called shalom. Uh, and, and peace in the New Testament is called Irene. So if you don't know, the Old Testament is, is, uh, Hebrew. The New Testament, well, mostly Hebrew. Uh, the New Testament is Greek. So we have these two words come up. And as we dive into what they mean by shalom, what that means, that, that word that we translate as peace means, we start to see that there's this picture of wholeness or completeness that is in this word. That's something as, as something is what it should be, right? It's not broken. It's not in pieces. In fact, the word shalom uh, describes, for instance, when they're building an altar and they're using 
stones here in Joshua 8, 31 that are uncut, that are whole stones. That is the word shalom that's used. Or when you look over your property, as Job says in 524, and he sees that nothing is missing in his entire property. Everything is whole. That is shalom that is used. That is more than just the absence of something. That's something being in the state that it's supposed to be in. And so John, he starts out telling us about not simply the birth of Jesus, but the eternal existence of Jesus before he was even born. Jesus, before all things were created, in fact, he was there. In verse three, he says that in everything was made through Jesus. And so I don't know about you guys. How many of you grew up reciting the Nicene Creed? How many? Wow. There's like three, four. No, no Lutherans in here from, my, <laughs> huh? Nikur Nicene Crete. And so, uh, it's one of the old, old creeds of our faith. And actually, when I read through John one, I remember these words that describe Jesus and the Nicene Council was made so that they could talk about the deity of Jesus because uh, some people were coming up and saying, well, he was a great man and not God. He was the first created being and so on and so forth. So the Nicene council was put forth to say, wait, is Jesus God? And so he says here in the Nicene Creed, this is 357 when it came up, but the Nicene council was 316, 314 somewhere. Um, But they say this, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only son of God, eternally begotten of the father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial to the Father. By the way, try to use that word in a sentence this week. I I, I encourage you. Consubstantial to the Father, through him all things were made. So their attempt there is to try to describe what John was just describing to us. So it's an odd birthday. It's a very strange birthday because we're not just celebrating the birth of a newly created person, but rather the arrival of an eternal person that is God himself taking on flesh. And so why is this important? Why is it so important that, that John, it, it was kind of like, you know, when you get asked the question, who are you? And you would go back all the way to the day of your birth. Well, it was a Wednesday, 1989, when I was born into this world, right? And people might say, okay, I didn't want that much information. Like just, who are you, right? And John is type of, kind of doing the same thing. He, he keeps over talking about the birth of Jesus. He's like, well, let's go all the way back to even the beginning of creation. <laughs> and he's saying, no, this is not just another great man. It's not just another great prophet. It, this is God himself who took on, on flesh. And then we ask, okay, why is this so important to John? Well, for one, as we dwell on the peace that is offered in Christ, and we think about the biblical terms of something being made whole, then we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we know what wholeness is? How do we know if something or someone is complete? In fact, if you take the creator out of the equation, if there's no creator, is there any purpose to life? If it happened by accident, is there any purpose to life? And if there's no purpose to life, how do you know if something is as it should be, right? If you remove the creator out of that equation, everything is gone out the window. How do we know when we are living as we were created to live? In fact, if you look at us, we seem rather good at being bad, don't we? 
Like, I think we all grew up, like even the standards we set for ourselves, we fail. Like most, most of us would agree, this is bad, this is wrong, and yet I've done a bunch of bad stuff, and yet I know they're bad. And if you look at human history, you can see, man, we're kind of good at going to wars. We're kind of good at hating one another. Who is not to say that as long as we're doing what we are so good at, that we're not being whole, that we're not just living for what we were designed for or not designed for. We need to know our purpose to know what wholeness is. And to know our purpose, we need to know what we were created for. And for that, we need to hear from the creator himself. That is why this is important to John. Jesus is not just another good teacher. He claimed to be God. How many teachers would you say were good teachers that just got the, min- the minor problem, uh, minor thing wrong that they thought they were eternally God from? That's not a good teacher, right? Either you're a liar, you're a lunatic, or you are Lord. And so we need to know our purpose. And John says, no, the creator came to make us whole. I imagine if I give you an Ikea package, right? There's 10,000 parts in there. I don't know what Ikea furniture that is, but there's, there's a bunch of parts. Okay, 9,000 parts. Let's settle there. 9,000 parts in that Ikea package. But I take the instructions out on how to put it together. And I say, good luck. Put it together. And you have no idea what these parts are supposed to construct. How would you ever know if you got it right? if you never had the information as to what this thing was created to be. But here we have our creator arriving to the scene. And with that truth in our minds, we know that he has created us with and for a purpose. And we see in verses four through five that he brings life and light to the darkness. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it like this poor little candle here bad representation of for Jesus. He came into the darkness and yet the flame continued to be lit. What does this mean? Well, here he's saying, I think what we all feel and know, even though you may, may not be able to put this into words, that the stuff is not right. That the world we live in is not as it's supposed to be. And here he is bringing life to death and light to darkness. He's bringing about Change. And then he says in verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Not only did he bring change, he's offering it to everyone. You see, the Christian faith is this weird thing. Has anybody accused you of being narrow-minded for being a Christian? Can I get some hands in here? Is it just me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that, that, that is kind of true. Narrow-minded, exclusive, that is type kind of true. But at the same time, Christianity is this weird, narrow-minded and exclusive, and yet broad and inclusive all at the same time. And so verse 14 tells us this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So first, how is our faith narrow-minded and exclusive? Well, it says that Jesus came full of truth, right? And all truth is rather narrow-minded and exclusive. This table right here is right here or is it not? Those are kind of exclusive options. 
If I tell you, as long as the electricity is on this building, there's one way to turn off the lights in here. And that's on the button by the mixer back there. You might go to yourself, Bernard, you're so arrogant. You think your way is the only way. Uh, what are you talking about? No, no, no. Truth is always exclusive and kind of narrow-minded, right? Otherwise, it's, it's not truth. <clears throat> and so in verse 14, but we see this. So he came full of truth, but he also came full of grace. He extends forgiveness and restoration to all. And that is on the table for all. And that is incredibly inclusive. The light has come. And if you want the light, there's one way to get it through Jesus Christ. Life has come. And if you want life more than a decaying world, there's one way to get it. And that is in Jesus Christ, the son of God that has come to us with life to death. But that offer is made available to all. So it's exclusive, it's narrow-minded because it's truth, but that truth is on, uh, offered to all. It's offered to every single one of you in here today. And this is the truth that we want to carry into the week and tell other people about. But in verses 10 through 11, we see that the offer stood, but people refused to recognize Jesus for who he is. So he came to the people whom he created, whose life he sustained, and they did not receive him. And in our pursuit of peace, because I think for most of us, if, if we were to be honest, if we were to go outside this building and we were to ask people, do you want peace in your life? I think most of us would be like, yes, heck yes, I want peace. Right? But in our pursuit of peace, our problem is not that we ask for too much, but rather that we settle for so little. We are so easily distracted too quickly to think too quick to think that we are satisfied we fail in in reaching what we want and need the most and we settle for what can i get right now it can be so many different things you can ignore the light breaking into the darkness because you're amused and you think that because you're amused you're conflating that feeling with amusement of being at peace or being whole we can conflate pleasure with peace so as long as we're experiencing some kind of momentary pleasure, be it eating a bunch of carbs at the same time or watching a bunch of movies that we like or, or going or things are going well in the job and we're progressing or people are praising us, whatever it is, we search for peace. We search for wholeness in so many different areas of life. And the problem isn't that we want peace, that we want to be whole. The problem is that we settle for stuff that can't make us peaceful, that can't make us whole. And we have a problem. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. He put it this way. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child, we want to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that's the problem with Christmas. <laughs> that should be the title of our sermon series, the, the problem with Christmas. The problem with Christmas is just that we are too easily distracted. We are too easily pleased. We sing songs about fireplaces. We sing songs about, I just want you for Christmas and it's not Jesus. You know, just. Just so you know, that song is not about Jesus. All I want for Christmas is you. I wish it was, right? 
Meanwhile, the offer stands for us. In verses 12 to 13, John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came to offer wholeness as your creator, knowing what he created you for, for relationship with God. As Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, with no nothing between them, in perfect communion with him, that is what he has come to restore. There's no temporary pleasure or amusement that can satisfy the longing of our souls for what they were created for. There's nothing out there, right? And I, I love, I know I, I, I quote this guy all the time and I quote the same quote from this guy all the time, but I want to remind us of this. Augustine of Hippo put it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You can try to look outside. You can try to look for the things that he has created, but you won't find rest for your souls. Because our souls were made to enjoy God. You can try to drown out the screams of your souls with relationships, with drinks and drugs, with entertainment, with pursuit of success. It will never make you whole because you were created for a specific purpose to know, enjoy, and to reflect your God and your creator. You cannot make this peace. You cannot work your way to God. You cannot be restored no matter how much you try. It's not by the will of man or flesh, but of God. The humbling thing is all of us in here, we have one option and that is to simply receive. You can't earn this. And this part, God stooping down to meet us in the mud is what makes our faith so distinct and unique. All other religions offer you, here's a recipe on how to make it to nirvana, to paradise, to uh, enlightenment or whatever else. And here the story is flipped upside down. God says, you can't, you can't come to me. I am holy. You are not. I'm in glory. You are not but I am coming to you. And that is the amazing thing about Christmas. I am lighting a match in the darkness and that light is going to spread. And Jesus says, you can't wash away your sin. Amen. Has anybody tried? (laughs) Anybody been successful in that? Jesus says, you can't wash away your sin. Only I can. And you can't withstand the judgment for your sins. So I will, I will hang on a cross. I will allow myself to be humiliated, tortured and killed by the very people whose life I created and whose life I sustained. I will allow myself to go through that, to be nailed to a cross made from a tree that I created on a hill that I created so that you can have life, so that you can have peace, so that you can be restored to wholeness for what you were created for. So, so that your war against God can stop. Because that's what it is. It's a war against God. I, I didn't realize that for years on end. But I realized later on, my reluctance to come to faith was my own sin. I did not want to be made in the image of God. I wanted him to be like me. I wanted to say what is right and what is wrong. I wanted to find wholeness within myself. I wanted to be able to say, well, I'm just a strong person. That's why my life is going awesome. But we're not. 
I remember for the longest time when I was new in the faith, people would say, Christianity is the crutch for the weak. I remember one specific time I was like, no, only manly man can be Christian. <laughs> I was like, only a real man can be a Christian. And then I realized later on, it's like, yeah, it is a crutch for the weak. And then a few years go by, it's like, actually more than a crutch for the weak. <laughs> it's, it's like life support for the otherwise dead. <laughs> That's how I'm starting to realize this is not about my greatness. It's not about your strength. It's not about how impressive we are. Again, we are here remembering that he came to us so that our war could cease. That we were no longer trying to be our own God. The arrival of Jesus makes us whole because it offers us again the thing that you were created for. That is a right relationship with God. And that is a peace that can be below everything else going on. Right at the sea, you can see huge waves on the surface. You go down deep enough, the same time, same place where those waves are crashing above the surface, go down deep enough, you will not realize that there's a turmoil up here. And that is what we have with God. We have peace with God. And yes, there are going to be tough circumstances. Paul says there's going to be times of weeping. Life can be difficult. It can hurt. But this underlying thing that you have been made whole with your creator, that one day you're going to see him face to face and he's going to wipe away your tears is always going to be there. And so Paul, the apostle tells us, don't grieve as if you don't have hope. Do you notice that? He says, he doesn't say don't grieve, period. Just be a happy, jolly Christian. Put on that nice smile. Smile through the pain. No, no, no. Don't grieve as if you have no hope. Flip that around. Grieve as if you do have hope. Jesus wept when he, when he knew that Lazarus was dead. So life can be painful at times, but this is what makes us ultimately whole. There's no Christmas gift better than the one that we've already received in Jesus. There's no relationship that will give you peace other than the one offered to you by Jesus himself with his arrival. And you can try to drown out the screams of your souls for something more, but you were created for this purpose. And only with your creator is true and lasting peace offered. Heck, you can, you can even try to run away from God to, by clinging on to dead religion. I, I, was, I was reminded of a quote this week. This is, did you know that coming to church does not make you a Christian? Just like standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> notice the life of Jesus there was a bunch of people there not living in open sin and rebellion not super obvious about it no 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 they hit their pursuit of peace with religious language traditions the people who opposed Jesus the most were the religious elite not the sinners This coming of Jesus reminds me of a story of an analogy that Jesus gives in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And I just want to read through that story of the prodigal son and remind us how, how this kind of, kind of relates to Christmas here. And so in Luke 15, 11, we start and we're going to read through 24. Here Jesus says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the son, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best rope and put it on him, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So. Why does this remind me of John 1? Why does this remind me of Christmas? First notice this, the younger son wanted the things of the father, but he didn't want the father himself. We read in John 1 that Jesus came to his own people and they did not receive him. And you might think to yourself, wow, that is a very ancient problem that thankfully we don't have today. No, it's a modern problem as well. Many want the things that God can provide for us. We, we want to get familiar with the hand of God and not the face of God. We want to see what can you give me right now or what can I get from you, but not how can I be with you? We worship the creation rather than the creator. This is a very old and still a, a problem that is alive and well today. And second, if we live for, and if we seek the stuff that the father can offer and not the father himself, we will quickly realize like the prodigal son that the stuff that God gives to us, the blessings of this life cannot in the long term last, sustain, or satisfy what we truly need. And there are many who differ from the prodigal son. That is, they find themselves hungering for something more. They realize their souls are searching for something more and they refuse to go back to the father. Or I think this is actually more common in Iceland. We chase the carrot. And as long as we don't actually catch it and feel the disappointment of receiving the highest reward, the thing that we think is going to give us peace and pleasure and wholeness, as long as we never actually catch it, then we just keep running. Third thing is this, the prodigal son realizes that he messed up. He realized when he asked the father for his stuff, he was in fact saying to his dad, Dan, you're not dying fast enough. Can I get my stuff now? So I can leave. And he realized 
after he realized the severity of his sin, that he couldn't come back to his dad with pride. He, did, he couldn't come back to his dad with arrogance or demands because he didn't deserve anything after what he did. In fact, he was going to plead with him to simply be an employee. And so when we think of John 1 and what God did to come to us in Christ Jesus, we, like the prodigal son, must remember that we don't deserve any of this. We can't approach God with pride or arrogance or demands because he doesn't owe us a single thing. And lastly, it's the response of the father that most reminds me of John 1. The father sees his son returning from a distance and he runs to him. Now imagine being the prodigal son and you're walking back to your village and you have no idea what to expect. Are people going to mock you when you get there? Are people going to laugh at you? Are they going to hate you? Are they going to try to hurt you for the shame that you brought on your family and your, your dad? In that culture, but yeah, but before this happens, before the son enters the village, the father sees him from afar. And the villagers see something more outrageous than just the prodigal son coming. They see a father picking up his garments and running towards the son, which shamed him. In that culture, fathers who were older, that was making a fool of yourself. First of all, a man this age in that kind of culture would not run like that, apparently, let alone to a son that has shamed you and brought shame on his entire family. So coming back to the village, there were two people who may have received scorn, both the prodigal son for what he did to his family, but also the father. Why would you run to the son who shamed you? When I think of the arrival of Jesus, stepping down from glory to meet us in the mud, I think of the father running towards the prodigal son. He didn't have to, but he did it anyway. And when I think about the forgiveness of Jesus, I think of the prodigal son after all, when he decided to forgive him and take him back to the uh, back. Like, I think we, we forget this sometimes. When, when, when someone forgives you, the damage or the cost doesn't simply just disappear. So the father receiving the prodigal son at this time, he doesn't just give him a hug and everything that he lost is all of a sudden restored and so on and so forth. No, the father is making a decision. No, you have cost us a lot but I'm going to absorb the cost. I'm going to absorb the punishment. I'm going to absorb the damages that you created. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Our sin came at a cost. The question was simply a question of who is going to absorb the cost. And in the arrival, Jesus says, I am here. I've come as a savior to pay your debt. And then he leaves it up to us. Are you going to come to me or not? Who is going to absorb cost for our sin? You see, the prodigal son could have pleaded with the father for forgiveness. He could have made the journey to go back home. But if the father wouldn't have granted forgiveness, if the father would have simply be concerned with what his rightful uh, action could have been, and he wasn't thinking about grace, it would have all been pointless. It wouldn't matter how much the son would plead with his father, would you forgive me? If the father refused, all of his repentance, all of his attempts would be futile. They wouldn't mean a single thing. 
In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, there's this idea that even faith itself is a gift from God. Have you thought about that? What does that mean? Faith itself is a gift from God. I want you to realize this. If you had all the faith in the world, but you didn't have an object for your faith, right? There would be pointless. If you had all, you spent your entire life trying to make right what you have done wrong and pleading with God to forgive you and give you grace. And if he did not give you his son, Jesus, to come and die for those sins, your faith would be pointless. The only reason you have faith is that Jesus Christ has come and we have someone to place our faith in. But then we read this in John 1 verse 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He offers us to become whole in Jesus, to return home, to be what we were created to be. Circumstances, they change, people come and go. Momentary pleasures, they last for a moment. That's why they're called momentary pleasures. But he offers us eternal peace. In the sorrows of life, we remember that no matter how bad bad things get, ultimately this underlying hope is the theme of our life. That we will forever, will now and forever know God and be loved by him because of his grace. And in the best moments of life, man, life was going awesome when you open up those Christmas gifts and you get everything you wanted from Santa, right? When everything is going just as you had hoped, even at those moments, we remember that the best moments of this life is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. So this faith, this peace, offers us wholeness to remember, I am in a right relationship with God the Father. And that underlying peace can affect everything else in our life. No matter how it goes, how bad or how good, we are at peace with God. And that's the peace that John talks about in John 1. And he offers us all this. So I don't know if you're in here today. I know there's some new faces among us. I don't know if everybody here is a Christian. It may be that you've been attending church for the longest time, but the best thing that I can offer you is what Jesus Christ has already done. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And you don't need some kind of ceremony to do this. The Bible tells us if you are willing to put your faith in Jesus, that he is your savior, he died for your sin. That is, you stand before God and you're not like, look at all the good stuff I did. No, 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 you point to Jesus and you say, he, he paid the price. He washed my sin. He covered me in his righteousness and he nailed my sin to the cross. If you believe that, and the second thing, you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord, meaning he is in the driver's seat. I'm along for the ride. Got my dreams, everything I want. Here they are but do with them what you want. I will follow you. That is what makes you a Christian. And if you're in here today and you haven't made those steps, I would plead with you to do that. Just like the prodigal son, remember, we don't have the benefit of pride or arrogance. And pride sometimes reveals itself to think, I'll think about this next week as if tomorrow is guaranteed. 
it's too, yeah. Think of too many things that have happened this year where people have died. And the thing, thing about death, when it happens to people close to you, we know that it happens, but we never expect it to happen. <laughs> we never expect it to happen to someone close to us or to us. And then getting these news over this year, it just reminds me, don't be prideful or arrogant to think that I'll think about this next week. You don't know what the next hour is going to look like. And so if you have taken this step, if you're taking this today, I'd love to talk with you after the service and pray with you. Uh, but if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come and remember his sacrifice on the cross with us here in this, uh, this song. And we're going to um, remember the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was shed for us. And during this song, when you're ready, maybe you need to work through your week. Maybe you've said some things or done some things that have brought shame to Christ and you want to ask God to forgive you and to equip you to be light as he is light to us in this coming week. I pray that you would celebrate with us what Jesus has done. Remember why we do this. Remember our hope, our wholeness in Jesus because of what he's done. In Jesus' name we pray. I don't know why I, I just ended my sermon like I was praying, uh, but <laughs> and so let me pray for us now. And again, and with Jesus' name we pray. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for everything that you've done for us, for the hope that we have in you, for the joy that we have in you. Father, I pray as we remember the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was shed for us, may we never take it for granted. Father, as we, as we feel the brokenness of our world, as we see the darkness, as we see death and decay around us, even in our own bodies. Father, I pray that you would remind us of the light in Jesus, that you would remind us where our wholeness is. Even after we've come to faith, it is so e easy to forget, to live for other stuff, to be distracted by other things and to remember the source of our hope and peace. So Father, this Christmas, as we remember the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, May we have our eyes fixed on you. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that that is the well, the deep well of living water that gives us life and peace. Whatever else is going on in our lives, Father, I pray that you would come into various circumstances, that you reveal yourself to us and to those around us to glorify yourself. But ultimately, Father, I pray, I pray that we would always remember the foundation of our people, that is Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the fact that we can sing today about your arrival to us because it was not a given. We didn't deserve any of this. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page 
or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.